Hello, and welcome to the My Messy Church podcast. Each week, we'll be going through your questions from the weekend services and doing our best to present answers from a biblical perspective. If you haven't yet listened to the weekend sermon, I want to encourage you to head over to curtislake.org backslash media for context of what we will be discussing today. We love getting your questions and cannot wait to grow together. So without further ado, let's dive into My Messy Church. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the My Messy Church podcast. Uh, For those of you that are watching this and wondering if I own any other clothes, uh, because you've seen this uh, for three episodes in a row, uh, most of you know we were three weeks behind, and so we're just kind of recording these things back to back. Um, So anyway, yeah, uh, I'm still wearing the same thing. I'm still just as unshaven as I was when I started this a couple hours ago, but welcome back. All right. So now we are, we're caught up. Um, this, this podcast is going to come out, uh, referring back to this past Sunday. Uh, so first Corinthians chapter six, verses nine and 10, uh, we're doing this excursus that was especially kind of focused on, uh, the matter of same-sex sexuality in the church. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I want to encourage you to go ahead and go back and, and do that. Uh, so we just have a few questions here. Um, the first one is, uh, you say that you want Curtis Lake to be a quote-unquote safe place where LGBT does, uh, where LGBTQ plus does that mean that the cap on leadership will be changed. Um, okay. So they probably had to shorten this, um, because of space, but so you want to, you say you want to Curtis like to be a safe place, um, for LGBT people, let's say, right. Um, does that mean that the cap on leadership will be changed? So, um, I, I, I don't really want to start the podcast off this way necessarily, but yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling with like how honest this question really is, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, like I, I, like I'm reading in it a, a tone that is first of all, presuming some things that I think are inaccurate and then, you know, sort of like in an underhanded way, also making an accusation. Um, uh, you say that you want Curtis Lake to be a safe place. So yes, um, that is, that's a, that's a, I'd say that's a good absolute statement that we don't want to, we don't want Curtis Lake to be a safe place for LGBT people. We want Curtis Lake to be a safe, a safe place for all people, like people that are um, from that, that, like we want to be the kind of place where when, you know, a drunk person comes off the street who's clearly inebriated and reeks of alcohol and is stumbling around and is being loud uh, and disruptive. We want to be the kind of place that instead of just giving that person the side eye, rolling our eyes, wishing they were out, and then maybe even ultimately ushering them out. Like like churches have done that kind of thing, right? They've... (laughs) ushers have come alongside a person like that and said, Hey, you know, I'll tell you what, you need to, you need to leave here. And, and when you sober up, you're welcome to come back. Uh, and obviously like there's a, there's a level of decorum that we generally want to, um, uh, to have during the time that we're, we're gathered together and, and, you know, obviously certain behaviors, we're like, we're going to do our best to try to hopefully in a, in an honoring 
and Christ honoring way, uh, deal with whatever may be going on. But anyway, like hopefully that sort of illustrates the point that, um, yeah, we want, we want to be the kind of place that like literally anybody, uh, could come. So years ago, maybe it wasn't LGBT people. Maybe it was, you know, a, uh, clearly a, 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 uh, very, very much pregnant teen woman that, you know, w clearly had sex while she wasn't married and got pregnant. Um, there was, uh, there was a time where the, like the church and, and there still probably is, um, you know, certain church environments that would, uh, that would just simply kind of like judge and, and want little to nothing to do with that person. And we want to be the kind of place where that person knows that they can, that they can come and, and not feel like everybody that's around is against them. And so like specifically, we're talking about LGBT people, uh, because of, the, you know, because of this text and, um, and, and ultimately like what this means for, uh, for the church and it's very, uh, uh, very significant, uh, issue uh, for us today. And so, yeah, we want to be a place like what ultimately when we, when I say safe place, cause I know that for some people, they just like, they hate that terminology. Uh, when I say we want to be a safe place, what, what we're doing in that is we're recognizing that the church has been the last place that a gay person would want to go to uh, for fear of having been judged. Or it's the last person, the last place that a person, a gay person would want to go to um, where they, where people could know that they were gay, like they, they would have, they would have had to hide it. And so, um, that, that is the kind of culture and environment we desperately want to avoid, um, producing and, and being, um, does that mean the cap on leadership will be changed? Um, so again, this is just, this is this is first of all making some presumptions that a cap on leadership needs to be changed. I think it's also um, like potentially insulting to an LGBT person. Um, so just to be clear, we um, we hold that there's um, and and I kind of talked about this on Sunday morning. Like we recognize the fact that. Uh, that there are people who uh, experience a different kind of sexual orientation from the majority of people, right? Like the majority of people are attracted to members of the opposite sex. Like that's true of most of us. There's a smaller number of people, the minority, that experiences attraction to one or both sexes. Uh, and, you know, uh, some of those experience exclusive attraction to members of the same sex. And, and if you were to listen to their story, they would say, like, I have only ever felt attracted to member, um, you know, to people of the same sex that I am. I, I, I still experience exclusively attraction, like romantic, erotic attraction to members of the same sex. I suspect that for the rest of my life, that is going to be um, the reality of the way I experience the world, and the way I experience my sexuality. So, like, we don't deny that. I, I don't, I don't. I don't, I don't deny that that is, um, an absolute reality. I also don't see that orientation as something that needs to be fixed, right? Like you will find, 
within Christendom, this idea that like that very orientation needs to be like the very idea that somebody could have an orientation like that needs to be removed from our minds. And that that person who experiences same-sex attraction, that they, that by virtue of those feelings of attraction, they're doing something sinful or they're, they're being something sinful or yeah, like, like that needs to be fixed. Uh, and so, you know, that's why, you know, part of um, the last few decades, there has been within the church, you know, the ex-gay movement, okay, where we wouldn't advocate for uh, that kind of thing. Like, I, I, while I think it's possible that somebody's sexual orientation could change, and that should be inarguable, um, people who don't hold to the same Christian ethics as I do believe in, um, you know, sexual fluidity, right? That people, like people could have, you know, it could be sexually oriented, um, you know, at one particular point in their life and then that, that could change, right? So sexual orientation change is possible. My guess, my suspicion is that for, for a person that is truly, has always been um, sexually attracted to members of the same sex that like, that, 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 that there's a really good chance that that is going to be, um, the, the reality for that person for the rest of their lives. Now, what I'm not going to do that the person asking this question seems to be doing is I'm not going to presume that that person is doing something that's immoral. Um, and without that presumption, I would say that like, there is no leadership cap for a person. So like, for instance, just to paint it as clearly as I possibly can, um, a person uh, self-identifies as as being gay, um, in 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 the way they describe what that means is I am exclusively attracted to people of the same sex. Okay, like I'm not going to presume that they are doing something immoral, and so is there a cap on leadership for that person who experiences same-sex attraction? Well, no, um, there, there, there hasn't been there and there, there wouldn't be. In fact, I, I think I made, you know, the absolute statement. Uh, well, you know, I mean, to me, that's absolute. I mean, I I kind of, I, I gave the example and there's, there's people that I'm, that I have in mind, um, whose stories I know that have, that, that are that they, they, they're exclusively attracted to the same sex. Um, and, but they also hold the same ethic and theology regarding marriage and sexuality as, as, as I do is, as what I shared is kind of the, the theological framework for our church when it comes to marriage. So they share that. And so with that, they, they, they make the decision to, um, to surrender their sexuality to God in celibacy. Uh, they make the commitment as hard as it may be to live celibate before God. Uh, so I would say of that person that like, there is nothing that they could ever do here. I mean, that person could, um, that person could hold any position. That person, that person could be the lead pastor of this church, um, for, for all I care. Right. So there's no leadership cap. Now, when it comes to what is a person doing from a moral standpoint? Um, well then, yeah, then, then there's, then there's, you know, potentially, um, some, uh, some conversations there. And this doesn't just pertain to LGBT people, it's pertains to all people, like anybody that's making 
moral decisions with regard to their sexuality or as like I've talked about with, um, um, you know, they're, they're doing things that are criminal, financial, financially criminal or, um, yeah, uh, guilty of other kinds of uh, criminal or moral offenses. I mean, that's, that's going to be a determining factor on what they can do here. So the point that like when we're talking about inclusivity is like what we're, what we want to do is we want to raise the bar and, and, and really try to make our community the kind of place that, that any person, um, gay, straight or otherwise can come and, and find a place to belong and know that, that they can, that they can be shoulder to shoulder with other people who call themselves Christians, um, even while they're, you know, trying to, to figure out what this all means for them, that this needs to be a place where we are listening to and hearing one another's stories and coming to places of understanding and empathy um, with one another, not necessarily expecting that everything that I believe right now, everybody else is necessarily supposed to absolutely follow suit. However, I mean, like we are a church that holds certain beliefs and we have certain values. We have a framework that really defines what we are. Um, and so the degree to which you can sort of serve or lead in this space is going to be um, governed by the degree to which you're in alignment with that. Uh, I, I, I don't know why it would be expected that somebody who's wildly out, out of alignment with what the church believes or practices ought to be ought to not have this cap on the kind of leadership that they should exercise here. Um, I'm not going to have a person preaching on a Sunday morning who's wildly out of alignment with what the church believes and practices. I'm not going to have a person, um, you know, teaching Sunday school uh, who's wildly out of alignment either with their beliefs or practices or that is living in such a way that is indicative of um, uh, a disbelief in the, 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 the beliefs or practices of the church. And so, yeah, I personally, I, I don't know that anything necessarily needs to be changed. Um, I mean, we've never that I know of, I, or at least I personally haven't been involved in a situation where I've had to have a conversation with an LGBT person and said, well, here's what you can do and here's what you can't do. Um, like, yeah, I, 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 I hope that like there's a, in the, in the weeks and months and years to come, that there is a I hope that does become a problem, <laughs> not, not, not literally a problem, but I hope that I hope that we are actually being the kind of place where uh, people who have a, uh, a gender or sexual minority identification know that like they can come here and while there may be incongruence between what they believe or hold and what the church believes and hold, that this is a place that will love them no matter what. Um, you know, I made the statement that it's, you know, if I were, if, if a person, um, walked through these doors and was, um, was curious about what makes us tick and said to me, you know, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm gay and I'm, I'm married to this other person. And, you know, I like, would you, would you come to our home and like have dinner and, can we have a conversation? Can we ask you some questions? And could we maybe also share with you? I mean, like I would be, I'd be honored to do something like that. Um, like there's, there's a way that we can be in one another's lives where, um, uh, I don't, I don't know that I've ever said this, um, you know, publicly, but like, 
you know, one of the kind of value statements that I've been really like, like thinking about that I do think ultimately defines the kind of church that we want to be is that we prefer understanding over tolerance. Um, that word tolerance, such a, like, for me, it's a, it's a, that's a, that's a, I feel like it's a word that's just been so, um, so abused. And, and generally the people who use tolerance as their highest level of, um, uh, yeah, moral framework, like they, they seem to me to often be some of the least tolerant people, right? They, they're, they're, they're tolerant of, of, of people to an extent, but ultimately like you're going to find a place where a line is drawn and they're not tolerant. And, and so tall, yeah, tolerance and tolerance also just, it kind of gives off the vibe, um, of, yeah, I guess, you know, to each his own, to each her own, do what you want to do. Um, and that's just fine, right? Like this is a judgment-free zone. Uh, we talked, we we talked about judgment, like good judgment, bad judgment, what what that all means. Um, what I want, I want to be the kind of person who is 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 pushing for understanding, um, even over tolerance. Like I think that I think that really kind of strikes at the core of what maybe when people started really making the word tolerance a popular word, that's probably what they were going after, and it's come to mean something. Um, a lot more militant that requires and demands compliance, right? When I think about like movements for toleration, generally there's a power structure behind that that is in, that like is trying to forcibly coerce people to tolerate other people. Um, I think, man, if we could actually get into, if, if we could go after people's hearts instead uh, and help them that whatever the other person on the other side of the table um, happens to be or identify as, or what differences may separate those two people. How about like, how about we have understanding, right? Um, with the conflict that's going on in the middle East, you know, I don't want, I don't want Palestinians and Israelis to tolerate each other. Like if that's the benchmark, then like go just, you know, tolerate one another and that'll be just fine. Go ahead. Like you can hate each other in your hearts. Um, and, and never, actually let your stories intersect with one another like that's that's dumb uh to me that tolerance is a really low bar understanding that's a completely different thing like understanding in 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 the case of an israeli and palestinian is an israeli like going into into the world of that palestinian person and understanding where they're coming from understanding why they are um, who they are, why maybe they do or think or believe what they do think or believe and vice versa. The Palestinian who has like always been taught to hate the Israeli and, and has these other outside governing forces, like trying to figure out a way to help that Palestinian person start to tolerate the Israeli person. It's like, no, no, no. no. How, how about like, how about understanding? How about we come and understand one another? Um, so, yeah, I think I think if we can actually cultivate a value like that, then this won't be just a safe place for a gay person or a trans person or you know a person that identifies somewhere else on the LGBT spectrum. But it, it could be a safe place for every person, and that's really what we want to be. Um, second question is, oh, I messed it up. Um, sorry. Let's see. 
All right. Second question. Isn't Paul simply making the point that all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God? Sin is sin, regardless what shape it takes. Um, so that is certainly, that's certainly a point that Paul makes, uh, in the book of Romans, right? Where he says all of sin and come short of God's glory and, and, and sin is sin. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, like sin, sin varies in terms of the, like it's, it's scope. Um, it's, it varies in terms of the kinds of consequences, uh, that a person, excuse me, that a person might experience for this sin or that sin or whatever. But yeah, I mean, like the, the problem from a universal standpoint is we're all guilty of unrighteousness, uh, of, of, of doing that thing that goes against God's commandments. And, uh, and so Paul certainly has that theology. Uh, what I was, the, the text that we were looking at, you know, has this list of things. It's not even an exhaustive list. Like there's a thousand things more that you could probably put on there. Um, well, maybe not that many, lots of things. And, uh, but Paul, he, like he, he provides this list and, um, and, and, uh, what I was trying to, to draw out from that is just sort of a reminder for the broader church community, for those that are called themselves Christians, that one of the, one of the ways in which the church and religion in general has attacked, um, or treated, badly uh, specifically the lgbt community is it's like it's taken the it's taken this one part right these two greek words um that 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 seem to be describing a prohibition on same-sex behavior and 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 like preaching sermons on that and just ignoring all the rest of them and while you know i was trying to draw out the fact that you know <laughs> like all these other things are, are, they're pretty relevant as well. And so, um, we just, we want, we ultimately want to be really, really careful in that we aren't unfairly treating one thing that is being called out and then just utterly ignoring the rest of them. That's part of, that's part of the harm that we've created is that, uh, we've been very, I'll use the word, very tolerant of, um, let's say when it comes to sexuality, very tolerant of heterosexual sins, right? Like while, while certainly, uh, at least in the kind of church culture and environment that I grew up in, you know, 30 years ago, adultery was, it, it, I mean, it was treated very, very harshly. Like, uh, I mean, if a person was uh, committed adultery, then, um, when it comes to, um, yeah, when it comes to leadership, I mean, they'd be removed and probably never given that opportunity back again. Like they'd probably be treated in such a way that they'd end up just leaving the church for shame, um, it was very, very unredemptive. Uh, and, and so, but, you know, while, while adultery was maybe looked at very, very seriously, it, it wouldn't have from a soteriological standpoint, in other words, like when it comes to our, our doctrine of salvation, it would have, it would have been looked at as something that a person can come back from, right? A person can repent of that and make things right with God, um, to whatever degree possible, make things right with other people and be restored into fellowship with God, where, you know, at the same time, a person that was, that was gay might've been considered like just way beyond that. Like, they, like that their sin was such a reproach and such an abomination to God that it's like, they were, 
they weren't in hell yet, but they were already like sort of bound and committed to hell and that there was no place um, for them to, to turn to God, to, to find forgiveness for their sin or anything like that. And so that's a, not only is that a bad hermeneutic, a bad way to interpret scripture, it's just, that's a really bad way to treat people. Um, and so we want to avoid that, of course. Uh, how does the church, uh, how does the community know that the LGBTQ community is welcome at Curtis Lake Church? Um, that's a good question. And I, you know, I don't know exactly how to answer that. I, I, you know, I did obviously, for those of you that were at church, I, that was a long one. Um, I mean, I was up there for over an hour. And uh, there were some things at the end that I kind of wanted to say that I, I did. I just, you know, I, I already felt bad enough that like, we just got to get out of here. Um, so, you know, but one of the things that I did want to just like to say was um, for whatever it's worth, like um, I, I wanted to invite people, like, like if there were, if there were people that were in the congregation you know, that day or that we're listening to the message afterward that were, that, that, that identify as LGBT and that they've been, they've been hiding that for fear of how they're going to be treated or looked at. Um, I just like, I wanted to invite them whenever they're comfortable um, to, to feel free, like to feel free to not have to hide that anymore. And, and I get like, you know, the whole, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not looking for this massive, you know, coming out party. I, I, like I get, um, I get how difficult that has to be for people who just like, they fear they, they're going to lose so much. They're going to lose community. They're going to lose family. They're going to lose, like, I mean, like everything is at stake for a person that maybe is struggling with, um, with, with, with that, that, that way in which they identify that nobody else knows about. And so, um, but anyway, yeah, I like, I think just trying to, to make it clear that, that there is a, like, this can be a place, um, where you can, you can feel like you don't have to like, just live in shame and hiding, um, uh, with what you're experiencing or what you're, if you describe it this way, what you're struggling with, um, whether it's a matter of sexuality or really anything. Um, yeah, we want to, we want to, we want to be a place that's, that, that's very, very gracious. Um, another, another segment of our audience that this might pertain to is like, you know, people who have, um, kids that are, uh, identifying as LGBT, whether they're kids that are still living at home or kids that are grown. I mean, it's, there's, there's countless Christians who have hid the fact that their child has come out, right? They, they're aware that their child is, is gay or, uh, is trans, um, in some way identifies, uh, as an LGBT person. And, they have hid that and they've, they've not wanted, they wanted to make sure their pastor doesn't find out about it or their small group doesn't find out about it because like by virtue of their association with that child or whatever, um, they're, they're afraid of what they're going to lose. And, and so I just, I, again, I, 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 I just kind of want to throw it out there, um, that that is, that's not something you have to, to hide or to bury. Um, I had one person come up to me afterwards said the message was especially meaningful because, um, because her mother, uh, was a lesbian and, uh, and, you know, we didn't really get to talk about like what that, 
what that whole experience was like. Was it, you know, um, what, what were the challenges of that and, or even how, yeah, how that, how that person really handled, um, that particular situation or the degree to which that was kind of like open knowledge for people in, uh, in her life. But, um, yeah, it's like, and I was part of why I wanted to do that is just that I guess I'm doing it now, but it's, if I got, if my, if my inbox got flooded the next day with, you know, two or three people that said, you know, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm an LGBT person and, um, and I want to know like where I can, like, where do I fit in all this? And what does it mean for me to worship God and to be part of this community here? It's, it's then, then we would, uh, we, we, we try to figure that out. And, um, if there's, if there's support that is needed, uh, same thing with parents that maybe like, I, I have, I have like, um, uh, it take a little work to kind of get it going, but I mean, I have already identified a couple different possibilities for how we would support parents with LGBT p- kids, um, th- and 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 make it so that like they had a place where they could um, talk about some of the the challenges and and figure out what it means to to be a godly and loving parent toward those kids, grown or still growing up. Um, and so, yeah, like as the, as the need sort of emerges, um, well, I think like our pastoral duty, uh, is to figure out how to come alongside, uh, people in our church. As far as the broader community goes, I mean, like, I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to probably set up like a Facebook ad campaign or anything like that. Or, um, and yeah, I, I, I think that, like, well, let's just like, let's work on, let's work on becoming a loving, grace-filled church, right? A church that is substantial, that has substance behind it, that, that does hold very, very dearly to the truths that we believe, that has a high view of, uh, of scripture, not only when it comes to like the moral framework under which we're living, but also the way that we live that out, right? A lot of times people have really, really high well, they say they have a high regard for what scripture teaches and they hold these, 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 these good, hard truths, you know, come hell or high water, but every way in which they live that out and express it is everything but Christ-like. So yeah, we've got to do both, right? Um, this is why we, we lead with grace. We hold the truth. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not, um, I, I don't know if this is a build it and they will come kind of thing uh, or rather we just like, let's just, let's grow into the church that Jesus is calling us to be. And then, um, you know, my guess is that over time, over the long haul, uh, more and more people will know uh, this is a place where I can go. This is where, this is a place where I know I can, I can be loved. This is a place where I know I can be welcomed. It, even as I am like, um, yeah, again, one of the, one of the problems I have with tolerance is like the, the idea behind it seems to be something like, um, you are what you are. I don't like what you are, but I'm going to figure out how to tolerate you anyway. 
where again, understanding is you are what you are. I want to understand who and what you are. And guess what? Even if we don't come to the same conclusion on what is right and wrong, moral or immoral, like I'm not going to let that get in the way of whether or not I extend love and grace to you. In fact, even if you make the decision to oppose me, even if you make the decision to criticize and speak evil and badly against me, even if you, you know, try to like drag my name through the mud because I'm not willing to, um, to come to terms with what you think is right. Like you can go ahead and do that. I'm still not going to even let that get in the way of the degree to which I love you and want to like serve you as Christ would serve you. Um, next question. What does the path to God look like to a gay person? Can they love God, but not change their sexuality? Uh, so, um, again, you say gay person, um, that I'm just, I'm not going to presume that a gay person is doing anything immoral, right? That's like, when it comes to, when it comes to morality, uh, where, you know, we're ultimately, you know, brought to question, um, you know, what am I doing with how I obey Christ's commands, right? Which, like, we embody that. We, we are, we are souls in a body. And so when it comes to obeying Jesus, obedience to Christ is an embodied experience, uh, and so if, if Jesus has certain commands for my life, I either obey or disobey those commands with my body, right? I, I, not just sexually um, uh, and not even just physically, right? Even mentally, um, that would be an embodiment of, um, of how I obey or disobey God's command. So I'm just, I'm not going to presume that the person is doing anything immoral. Uh, so like, I think I've kind of at least hinted at, maybe even said outright, um, if a person identifies as gay because they feel like that's the best way to describe the way they experience the world um, and are not, they're not living immorally, um, it sounds to me like, you know, they're very much walking on the path of following Jesus. In fact, there's a good chance that the kind of surrender that they're living is, is, is uh, worlds and classes above <laughs> Um, the surrender that I am, you know, currently like, I need to learn a thing or two from that person, you know, can they love God, but not change their sexuality? Um, so yeah, when it comes to, when it comes to their sexuality, whether it's sexual orientation, again, I think, is it possible a person's sexual orientation could change? Sure. Right. Like some people have testified to that. Is it going to happen absolutely to every single person all the time? Um, and if it doesn't, then that means that they don't love God. No. Um, you know, um, when it comes to, when it comes to like morality, when it comes to how we express sexuality, uh, I'll just, I'll assume that the, what this person is trying to get at is, okay, we, I, you know, there's a person who's in a same sex sexual relationship with another person. Um, is it possible for them to continue in that relationship and to also love God? And, and this gets complicated, right? So like, I would say that, uh, that scripture teaches that same-sex sexuality, like expressions of same-sex sexuality, 
um, are prohibited, right? That all sex outside of marriage is sin and that marriage is defined exclusively uh, as the lifelong covenant relationship between a man and a woman, right? So that's like, that's, that is the, that's the belief that creates the framework. Um, and so we start with marriage and, and we say like all sexuality outside of that is, is, um, is a dis disobedience to God's commands. So, um, uh, we don't get to use this word a lot, but fornication, right? Fornication was, you know, the good eighties, nineties word that described, uh, sex between a man and a woman that weren't married to one another, uh, like prior to getting married. So man and a woman living together, cohabitating, having a sexual relationship that would be outside of marriage and therefore contrary to God's commandments. Um, adultery, obviously outside, uh, the realm of what God commands of us. Um, and so same sex, if like, if, if, if we hold that, that, that marriage is defined narrowly to, um, the union between a man and a woman, then, then we're not, we're not, and we're not expanding the definition of marriage to include a same-sex couple, then the sexuality that's expressed between that same-sex couple would be uh, under that premise uh, seen as something that's outside of marriage and so therefore prohibited. Now, can a person do that and still claim to love God? Um, so that's, that's, a, like, that's a super loaded question. And I, you know, some people might be easily able to easily like just say, well, no, like that's a, that's this ongoing, unrepentant moral thing that a person's doing. So clearly they're not saved. Clearly they don't love God. And I think that that is, um, I think that's just, that's a bad, uh, that's bad theology. Um, I mean, I think it's possible that that could be the case, right? I think it's possible that a person's unrepentant, um, callous attitude towards some kind of sin that is done in defiance and, re and, and rebellion against God can be indicative of a, 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 a person that is not actually born again, like that their heart has not been transformed. But they're also like, they're, it just seems to me there also has to be room for, and this is where like, like at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make the judgment, right? This is this is where I say, well, I, I I can speculate all I want, like that that that's God's business. Like he's going to have to, like he's going to have to deal with it. Um, like I can't I can't really judge the heart of another person. And again, I know the pushback is, yeah, but they they keep doing this thing. And to that, I would just say, it's like, okay, well, I'll bet you you're doing something, right? Like that 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 has a a kind of like an ongoing nature to it, that there's some attachment or sin in your life that, that, that you, you know, struggle with. Um, and, and so the person would say, yeah, but they're like, they're not even struggling with it. Right. So that means that it's like, okay, well then I'll bet you that there's something in your life that you're not struggling with. That's also sinful that like when you stand before Jesus, Jesus is, you know, it's, it's going to be something that he just has never really, you know, you like you never you didn't live long enough for him to deal with that. Like I, I in other words, I guess I don't want to sit here and presume that there's nothing in my life that I'm aware of that Jesus would have a problem with. Like so um 
this may this may just get like more confusing and convoluted, but um, there are two. Uh, if I had time again on Sunday morning, if I had time to actually go through and talk about the the various resources that I uh, was recommending, um, there were, I, I put eight things on there, uh, four of which were in alignment with our church's position on marriage and sexuality, and then four things that were not. And, and I wanted to just like describe kind of the merits of each of those things for anybody that wanted to to dig a little deeper and. Um, I was kind of prepared to say that there's like, there's these two, there's two individuals that I hold in, in pretty high regard. Um, and so one of them, uh, his name is Greg Coles and he is a celibate gay Christian. Uh, so he's, he's exactly that, that person that I, like I describe experiences exclusively same sex attraction has surrendered that to God, um, is not pursuing a romantic relationship with another person as much as he like it felt like if he could theologically um, could get there, like he, you know, he has the attractions, he has the desires for that, but feels like it's it's out of alignment with his ethic and theology regarding marriage, and so he he surrenders that to God. And I just like I say of a person like that, that's like that's a that's my hero, <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, I just. I think that's I think that's so incredible. I, I think that's so incredible in a day where you know today it, it's it's like I mean I don't know what the percentages are, but like we know that that porn addiction is this major major problem uh, among human beings, right? It's just so easy. Somebody's you know somebody. Can I be a little disrespectful on the podcast, Shana? All right, you know somebody like somebody's a, somebody's a little horny and and like they, they they gratify themselves um, and they like they 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 leverage the um, you know, and objectify another person in order to do that. And, and, and it's like, it, it's just like, they can do it and they can feel good about it or bad about it or whatever, you know, indifferent about it and, 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 and carry on. Like, it's just, it's just so easy, right? When, if it, if it comes to, um, when it comes to orgasm, like it's so easy for a person to just kind of get what they want these days. And, and then like you have this person that says, you know, with all these incredible desires I have for, um, for being in a, a romantic, erotic relationship with another person. And yet, like, I understand that that would be to disobey God's commands for my life. And then actually like is living that sacrifice out. I just like, that's my hero. Um, like that, 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 that's the kind of person that I believe can really teach us something about purity, um, far more than, you know, most of us could teach each other. And then the other person was, um, uh, this guy named Justin Lee. And so like, and, and what's interesting about Justin is like, I disagree with Justin. <laughs> um, I, you know, so Justin is, he's also gay. Um, he's a Christian and he's married to another man. And so he is in an ongoing relationship with a person of the same sex, which I would say is a, a thing that's prohibited by scripture. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, but like, I, I've, I, again, I, like, I can't judge a person's heart. So all I can do is what I can do with what I know or what, 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 what intuition or discernment I have. And, given the way in which he is written, given the way in which he is talked and presenting, he's a pretty, he's a pretty famous guy on the side that would say that same-sex relationships should be affirmed within the church, clearly, because he's in one, um, like legally married and feels like the church ought to um, also affirm that as Christian marriage. 
but what you know one time one time i heard him speaking i mean first of all like he like i'm i'm not going to say he doesn't make a really really strong case for what it is that he is advocating for again i don't i i don't land um on the same conclusion as he does but i feel like he's also a person that i could be really really good friends with despite our disagreement he's exactly the kind of person i'd love to sit in our room with and go back and forth on this and the reason is because of his his humility regarding it. Um, and that is, you know, I, I remember making a statement one time where he just said, like, like when it came to the matter of the fact that he's, he's married to another man. And as far as he is concerned, like scripture seems to be like open and broad enough to permit that. Like that's, that's just where he's at with his convictions at this point in his life. And he said of that, he said, I could be wrong. Like I, I could, I could absolutely, I, I, I might be wrong about that. And, and I, I, like, not only the, not only the fact that he said it, but the way he said it, um, it's like, it, it opened, it opened up my eyes to, you know, to a thought that I, I don't think I ever thought before. And I don't even know if I've ever even heard anybody express this. And that is this idea that, uh, when it comes to like unrepentant sin, um, I think we sometimes forget that there are there are sins you know that we can be very very keenly aware of in our lives and there is presently at this very moment for every single one of us I think um there's there are things in our lives to which we are currently blind um and like for me to sit here and presume that I Everything that I have with regard to sin is on the table and is either being dealt with well or not well, you know, like between me and the Lord. Um, and, 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 and like, there's nothing else like, like that just, we, we know we have blind spots and like those blind spots, those blind spots could, they could even, I think, reach into, you know, areas of our lives that are like more, around morality. And so, um, like, I'm not saying that's a good excuse to just go ahead and practice immoral behavior in a way that is callous and like, you know, just fist raised against God. Like when I think of Justin Lee, that's not the picture I'm seeing, you know, this person who's just, you know, um, like doing it despite what he knows God wants for his life. Again, I, I, I think he's wrong. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah. Um, and if, if, if I, if, if he and I were friends, like he would know that I think he's wrong and I would know that he thinks I'm wrong. And, uh, and, and it's like, again, I, I don't, I don't control his life uh, and he doesn't control my life. And, and so ultimately as Christians, we have to, we have to be living this life in the spirit that is moving toward God. And who knows, um, maybe that, maybe that is the way he lives the rest of his life. Um, and, and, and when he stands before Jesus, like, I don't know if I'm wrong, then I guess nothing to see here. If he's wrong, then, um, uh, you know, Jesus will always, of course, judge perfectly and righteously. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, so kind of long way around that question, but, uh, it's, you know, can a person, can a person love God? And also like, I, I, I think I used to have a, a more like rigid, 
listen, if you're a Christian, you're always, you're going to follow the rules. And if you, if you, if you, if you break a rule, it's like, it's just a, it's a small deviation and quickly you get right back on track and you, you're keeping the rules again. Like I've just, I've lived long enough and I've experienced enough people and their stories to like come across the occasional person that's just sort of like this conundrum <laughs> to that kind of a theological premise who's, who's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't, it, it's hard for me, like given their heart and certain things I see about this person, it's hard for me to think that like, that they're not truly a Christian, like that they're born again. And, and yet like they just from a moral standpoint, it doesn't seem like they can get ever get out of their own way. And they like, they keep doing these things that are like, I feel like I know they're wrong. I think they even know they're wrong. And yet like, you know, just kind of keep going back and forth, you know, between, you know, being really, um, really good <laughs> about serving God in an embodied way. And then other times where they just like seem to kind of fall off the wagon and they're back to back into another sexual relationship with another person back into, you know, you know, being high or hopped up all the time, you know, just like, yeah, doing all these things that are, um, again, like part of the list that Paul described. Um, yeah, uh, but that, that's, I think that's where we just have to be really, really grateful for God's grace and God's forgiveness uh, and understand that God's grace is not cheap. Like that's hopefully that's not the message anybody's getting. Uh, God's grace uh, is, is anything but cheap and we can't treat it cheaply, but neither can we just always presume that a person who's, yeah, whose life is very, very different from ours might not be experiencing that grace in a different way. Um, two more questions. Uh, how can the definition of marriage be expanded and remain faithful to the word presented in Romans chapter one? Uh, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Adam. So, all right. Um, so first of all, like God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Adam is about the poorest argument you can make, uh, for a, theology of marriage between a man and a woman. So I would just encourage anybody that wants to do that or gets even cuter with God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Like, don't just don't go there. It's again, it's insulting. It, uh, it, it, it's, and it's, it's just, it's just setting up a straw man and beating that thing down. Right. It's like, it's, 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 um, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's kind of poor logical thinking. So the person asked, how can the definition of marriage be expanded and remain faithful? Uh, and so they referenced Romans chapter one, which of course we didn't get into, but there's another passage that, um, that talks about same-sex sexuality. Uh, and so, I mean, from my perspective, the simple answer to this is, well, it, it, it can't be, right? Like that was, that was part of the point, you know, one of the points of the message uh, is that our when it comes to our theology and practice, we hold that marriage is reserved exclusively for a man and a woman um, forever, for, you know, for life. And that's it. Like, we're not, we're not willing to expand that definition uh, to include same-sex relationships. So, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the, uh, and, that case it's it's it, within christendom it's it's being it's being vehemently argued uh sometimes it's being argued in spaces that are very very 
um, gracious toward one another. Um, like there's people that are doing a good job of having that conversation. And there's a lot of people that are doing a very, very poor job of having that conversation. But, um, we hold what I would call describe as the historically Christian definition of marriage. And we call it that because, um, historically all Christians have in all places and at all times, understood marriage as being a relationship between a man and a woman and nothing more than that. Um, and, and, and it's the, the diversity of churches that have held to that definition of marriage is absolutely incredible and needs to be taken into consideration. You know, if you are talking about some fringe doctrine that only um, the Pentecostal church believes in, then it's like, okay, well, yeah, how much weight do you give that? If you believe in some fringe doctrine that only the Seventh Day Adventist Church believes in, then, then like it just it doesn't deserve the same kind of weight and gravity that. Well, this is the thing that all Christians at all times and all places in like in 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 both the Eastern and Western traditions in not only uh, modern day evangelicalism but also in. Um, in, in the in African churches for the last two thousand years, European churches for the last two thousand years, Asian churches for the last two thousand years have all held to this same definition of marriage. It's only very very recently, um, you know, in the last, you know, really, I mean, it's very it's accelerating at a rapid pace. But um, you know, some decades where it's been. Um, where it's been being modified within some mainline churches, uh, many of which are already have a kind of theology that is just, you know, far more progressive than I think um, is warranted that have a, um, uh, a lesser view of the authority of scripture, like to, to begin with as a basis that is then, you know, ultimately resulting in changing definitions uh, um, of various things. Uh, and, 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 and now it's, it's in the evangelical world as well. Roman Catholicism also, um, you know, starting to experience some division, um, I think with regard to that, but, um, yeah, it, it, this, this, uh, yeah. Are we, are we only just now like smarter than all of the generations before, um, that could never have could never have conceived uh, of something like what is being advocated for today. Yeah, I personally, I don't think so. Uh, finally, do not cause anyone to stumble. How do Paul's words to other churches help us forgive ourselves when we have led others astray? Um, I think I'll just, I think I'll forego this question. Maybe uh, we're going to kind of hit it a little bit this week. You know, when we talk about Christian liberty and like desire and how a lot of that works in our lives, but I'll just, you know, very quickly say, um, yeah, like, first of all, let's be really, really careful. We're not doing things to lead other people astray. Um, if we ever find ourselves having discovered that we have led other people astray, uh, we should try to work to to reconcile that, to undo whatever harm we may have caused. Obviously, like when it comes to that or anything for which we need to find forgiveness, we need to find forgiveness from the Lord. We need to find it within ourselves to forgive ourselves. We need to seek forgiveness from those that we've hurt. And um, so, yeah, I think that's all. I'll just kind of leave it at that. So, all right, that's it for this week and last week and the week before. We're done. Um, thank you so much for listening, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of the week. We'll see you next time. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of My Messy Church. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to head to your app store and download the Curtis Lake Church app for easy access to all of our content. Thank you so much for joining us, and we can't wait to be with you next week.